This episode of That Song from That Movie is coming up after this. My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can turn into nightmares. Join me as I tell you haunting and horrific reveries about missing people and senseless murders. I also interview survivors and people seeking justice for themselves or a loved one. New episodes come out every Monday morning, and sometimes you'll get bonus episodes on Thursdays. Wherever you're listening to this current podcast right now, you can find Reverie True Crime. Are you ready for around, I don't know, 35 minutes of very dodgy Sir Michael Caine impressions? Well, I hope you are, because that's all you're getting this week on today's episode of That Song From That Movie. One, two, three, eyes on me. <laughs> Tiddledy dee. It's one, two, eyes on you. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, the journey for the very best and worst of movie songs. I am your great idea host, Dietrich. I doubt Today it. we're joined by a man who has been out of prison for five minutes and already is in a hot car, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it always happens that. Who is it? It's the ambassador of Pakistan's car. That's correct, yes. Yeah, um, nothing to add. <laughs> I knew it would happen and it did. And we're also joined by a professor who did something very obscene with Annette, Ben. <laughs> Uh, my lawyers have informed me not to discuss this matter without their presence. I wish I was a professor. Oh, the professor in this film, you want to be that one? No, no, I really don't want to be the professor in this film. You do share a name with him, though, don't you? Uh, yes. The actor, anyway. <laughs> uh, what have you been watching this week? I watched the quintessential greatest film of all time, Tremors. Oh, that is a great film. <laughs> I got, like, the uh, collector's edition Arrow video Blu-ray that someone very kindly bought me for my birthday. So, thank you very much to that person. What is your opinion of Tremors 2? Uh, I think it's quite a worthy sequel. Yeah, Well, yes, but, you know, Tremors 1. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not Tremors 1. But the sequel to Tremors 1 is Footloose. <laughs> oh, is that... So why is that the sequel? How does that run through? Because the the, the inner strife leading from, <laughs> from what's happened, all the trauma, leads him to develop a new interest, a focus for all his uh, angsty thoughts. And that's dancing. Can't argue with that. Watching back to back, you uh, it, it flows. Perfectly. Yeah, that makes sense. Right, okay. That's my that's that's my next week sorted. <laughs> Tremors one, footloose. Tremors two. It actually makes sense because Kevin Bacon's not in Tremors two, so it's almost like uh, divergent paths. Mm-hmm. It's the Tremors MCU. Tremors MCU. Yep, yep. I don't know why you'd keep the M. <laughs> <laughs> the Tremors marvelous you, uh, cinematic universe. Yeah, yeah, that must be it. The yeah. Tremcu. I like it. Tremcu is very Tremcu. Good. There we go. <laughs> why don't we? Why don't I just? Why don't I have to elongate that? What about you, Alex? Have you been watching anything this week? Yes, interest? mainly TV. Uh, so I watched the documentary Night Stalker. Have you guys watched this on Netflix? No, it's very nope. good. Never heard of it. It's about a serial killer in uh, LA. <laughs> I swear that's every, isn't that every documentary on Netflix at the moment. There are a lot of documentaries about serial killers in LA. I watched the Yorkshire Ripper one. Yes, I've seen that one also. Good. This one's mm-hmm. also good. This one's this one's quite cool because it's like in the eighties, so it has like a lot of eighties fonts and stuff, um, <laughs> which they really go go all in. Um, I also watched the first three episodes of One Division, which did we discuss last week's episode? Or was it pretty? Yeah, we've crossed. I've not watched the third one yet. 
I personally think it's the most interesting thing Marvel has ever done. I thought you were going to say that. But you don't, you're not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, not, you're, not, you're not exactly a fan, I'd say. We'll go any further into it. No, it's no not. spoilers. This week I have watched a few episodes of the new series of Disenchantment. Oh yeah, I, I, I've not even watched the second series. No, I haven't either. I've seen the first one. Is it any good? It's alright. Yeah, yeah, I think that's been the problem with Disenchantment the whole time is it's not bad, it's just alright. Yep. I think you'd hope by series three it'd sort of start getting to stride a bit more. So today's episode is the songs of the classic British movie, The Italian Job. So to find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out, it's my turn this week. So I'm taking you all the way back to June 1969. Nice. <laughs> uh, now, I'm just going to preface this by saying that there is not much news from June 1969. So uh, enjoy this. Common preface this, I think. We need to stop going back to the 60s, that's the problem. Are you just going to say the Italian job was released? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will at the end. (laughs) Okay, so John Lennon and Yoko Ono brought an end to their second bedding peace protest in Montreal, Canada. So it was during this time that recorded Give Peace a Chance. That's it, that was my new story for that. The world gave it a chance. Uh, Maybe not. Exactly. It's not even the one that's memorable in terms of like imagery, because that was the one that was in New York a few months earlier. Mm-hmm. And it was only one day into June, but this is how bad I was struggling to find news stories that I had to get a new story from May that just happened to squeak over into June. <laughs> Do you think they really just wanted to stay in bed and thought they'd get an excuse by saying it's related to peace? <laughs> they just wanted a long, a long, lazy weekend. We're just giving peace a chance, you know. Yeah, exactly. You guys should try as well. <laughs> Although, if everybody was in bed at the same time, then I feel like that would Maybe bring some sort of peace. Let's solve that whole coronavirus problem. Uh. <laughs> so, next up. The drummer for the soul group, the Winstons. Anybody? No. Nope. Winstons? Nope. Okay. So, the drummer, Gregory Coleman, records a drum beat that would become a mainstay in music sampling for the rest of time. Uh, so, it's known as the Amen Break. It's only four seconds. So Are you going to play it live on drums? If I had a drum kit, I would. Ready? I kind of thought of like a few songs just you playing that. A fireware. The first one that came to my mind was Feeling This by Blink-182, but I think maybe it's not. That was actually one of the ones I was thinking of as well. Any drum and bass song ever. Uh, or like Firestar by Prodigy. Firestar by Prodigy is one of the three I've got on my list. Is it just like, it's like a drum and bass intro. So it's been attributed to at least 2,000 songs since, but they think there's many, many more that just haven't had official licensing. So the songs I've got written here are the intro to Firestarter, yeah. Straight Out of Compton by NWA, Ooh. and the theme tune to Futurama. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I can hear that. Yeah. Sadly, Gregory Coleman's story ends with him dying homeless and destitute in 2006. When I said it had been licensed, he got no money yeah. from this. Yeah. That's always sad. According to the lead singer of the soul group, the Winstons, he was unaware of the effect of this four-second drum beat that he made. Yeah. It might be one of those glass-shattering moments, though, that you never realise the symmetries about them until yeah. you've said that now. So he maybe, well, or maybe he was just a, not a fan of any of those music being a soul singer, a soul performer. Maybe you're right. Okay, and in my final piece of news, the BBC airs a behind-the-scenes documentary about the royal family, imaginatively called Royal Family, <laughs> which is watched by 31 million people in the UK and remains to this day the most-watched non-live event broadcasted in the UK. Wow, incredible. You never get those numbers nowadays. It's third in the all-time list if you include live events. Can you guess what the two more successful broadcasts are? Including Charles, live events. Charles and Diana's wedding. Nope, but you're on the right theme. Uh, so, Roy- uh, a royal wedding, 
of some kind. No. Queen Jubilee. Oh, 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 oh my god, it's from Neighbours. Is it, is it, uh... No, no. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not a wedding, but one of the people, you said. Oh, Diana's death, something to do with her death. Diana's funeral, funeral. is... <laughs> what, something to do with her death? Something to the do funeral. with her death. Diana's funeral. And World Cup final, 1966, surely. Correct. <laughs> Neighbours. No, because it had, like, really I know, I know figures. what you mean, yeah, but still. <laughs> Neighbours. Kylie and Jason. Have either of you two seen this documentary? No, but I've seen clips of it. Um, and I know, I think it was like really criticised at the time because uh, it felt really staged and they seemed really boring. I think that's what a lot of the, the big takeaway of it was, that the royal family just seemed really dull. Yeah, so a lot of critics thought that it gave too much of a look behind the scenes and it sort of lost the aura because everything was very dull. It was it was mentioned in, in the... I don't know if you guys watched the TV show The Crown, but it was part of a plot point in one of the episodes. And uh, right. I think they barely ever did it again afterwards because it was so negatively received. So I don't think they've really done it since. The last thing that happened... Well... The last thing my notes that happened in June 1969 was the release of The Italian Job. So it was directed by Peter Collinson, and I feel like I need to give a warning, because I feel like I'm going to say the word iconic a lot during this. <laughs> Stick an iconic counter on. Alright, so I'll do a plot synopsis. The Italian Job tells the story of Charlie Croker, played by Sir Michael Caine, the leader of a cockney criminal gang, who was released from prison with the intention of doing a big job in Italy to steal a gold bullion from an armoured security truck. So, I feel like this is going to be obvious, but have we seen it? And if so, what do you guys think? I really enjoyed this film because I think it's just so fun and it's so cool. There are a lot of problems with it, I think. But I think that a lot of the problems come from the fact that it probably inspired a lot of films in the genre. Because I feel like it probably must be one of the very first heist movies. Or certainly, like, car heist movies. And I feel like a lot of the films that came afterwards were a lot more structured. And, like, they really refined what this film does because I feel like it's a bit all over the place in timings but I think that's because I'm used to how it would normally be done like I felt like with the actual heist I didn't really understand what the plan was until it was actually happening <laughs> like they sort of yeah. mentioned it but it didn't sink in whatsoever and there was parts where they were sort of practicing doing the stunts or you know whether blowing up the cars etc but it's like I felt like I didn't understand why they were doing any of it and in fact the iconic the iconic bit with the blowing the car doors off what was that even for? Did they even use that in the actual heist? I feel like they didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, they did. They did. What, they blew some car doors of a car? I don't remember that happening at yeah, all. Yeah, off the armoured security truck so they could get the gold out. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that happening at all. <laughs> Come on. I remember them putting like a bomb in a in a like a, a water gun sort of tank thing. It was all it all just felt a bit lost on me. But I did really enjoy the film on the whole. I don't know what you guys think. What about you, Ben? I think I agree in part, I think the I think the problem with elements of the Italian job is that it doesn't make sense at any point. Yeah. I think <laughs> Whereas I think, it. like, say, like, with, I don't know, I think, say, like, the Ocean's Eleven remake. Which is the exact the kind of film I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make sense for most of the film until the end, and it all kind of comes together in a nice, neat sort of package. Yeah. I think that's the difference. <laughs> but it just seems like so many things that were happening didn't seem logical. Like, when, in the car, like, they explained that the reason why why they were sort of, you know, driving on the paths and stuff was to get around the traffic jam. That kind of made sense. But, like, at one point they're just driving on top of, like, a building for no apparent reason. Yes. And it's just, I don't understand as well. Let's put the police. How did they keep catching up to them? Like, no, first of all, I how mean, did the police know, know yeah. who they were yeah. in the minutes? Movie that magic, no That's movie magic. <laughs> yeah, but, like, how did they know it was them in the minis in the first place? They could have actually just, like, gone into the traffic and they wouldn't have been caught. Because there's no CCTV or anything like that at the time. So, no. I mean, so there is off the tra- actual traffic, but they wouldn't have been caught. 
So it's just like it just boggled the mind as to why they were doing anything other than for fun, obviously. <laughs> That's the thing. I think the modern heist film is a, a sum of its parts, whereas the Italian job is just focuses on the parts. Doesn't matter if it makes something at the end. Yeah. And I think I agree. I think it is inspirational for a lot of films. I think this is very much on a a dad's top ten films of why movies were better when he was younger kind of list. It's all the suave and I don't know. It's kind of like jovial sophistication that. I think a lot of the films had at this time. It's men in suits being a bit silly. I do, I do, I do like it. Like I think I agree with Alex. There's a lot to there's a there's a lot of it in it where you're like, ooh. But I think that's just of the time. I think there's still a lot to be enjoyed about it. Michael Caine is yeah, he's, he's great. Uh, he is Michael Caine. I would like to stress that I don't think any of the things I've said damaged the film in any way. Um, I won't make it stand out. I just think I I just wanted to make clear that I think that it is. The sort of the lack of structure, the lack of sort of conventionality about it is what kind of makes it good, as well as what makes it a bit confusing to watch at times. It's interesting to say damage the film because my story with this film is one I love it, but as a child I had this on DVD and watched it so much that I damaged the DVD itself, and it would always skip in the same spot every time. So I had to get a new one. Nice, nice. All part of the fun. And when I've watched it since, and it doesn't skip in the spots I expect, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I wanted to jump and I want Mr. Bridger to, like, struggle speaking because it's uh, going all garbled. It's a proper Brexit film, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it's a bit jingoistic. Very, very especially, much so, Especially yeah. that part at the end, near yes, the end, where, yes. he, like, Mr. Bridger's walking through the prison and they're all singing the National Anthem or whatever it is they singing. Quick fact about that scene. The reason why there's so many cuts while he's walking down the stairs is because the actor, Noah Coward, no, Coward yeah. he was struggling to walk at the time, so they could only, he could only do, like, three or four steps at a time before, like, collapsing from uh, exhaustion. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know he was much of an actor because he's, he's more famous for being a playwright, um, like yeah. a really famous playwright. So I didn't, I, I was surprised to see that he was in the film, to be honest, because I didn't know he was an actor. I think it's quite an unusual film for him anyway, because I think his, a lot of his earlier stuff was quite serious and dramatic, not necessarily Shakespearean, but very much sort of dialogue heavy classic, whereas he's almost a, a pastiche of a, of a character in this. Okay, I've written down here that this movie is a jewel in the crown of British cinema. <laughs> and Ben will like this. The BFI named it as the 36th best British film ever. Oh, yeah. And Total Film named it as the 27th. I think it should be high. It's an instantly quotable film, so I'm going to have to obviously open up the floor to Michael Caine impressions. Oh, no, no. I've, I've literally played with it the last few days, and it's terrible all the way through. I was I was watching loads of uh, clips of Steve Coogan and uh, Robert That's the best. In the <laughs> she was only five years old. Sixteen. Yes, I don't want to bury another Batman. <laughs> Have you seen the video of Michael Caine doing a Michael Caine impression? <laughs> no. It's very good. It's on YouTube. He he basically does an impression of what people think he sounds like. And there's actually quite a distinguished difference between his normal voice and what people think he sounds like. <laughs> um, so that quote then, it's, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off, was voted by The Telegraph as the best movie quote ever. It's 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 one of them. Yeah, it's up there. I don't get why it's so iconic. This line because it's like it's just a bit of like a throwaway gag in the middle, isn't it? I think it's probably just because it's the way he says it. You just remember it. So rather than yeah. it being like a really good line, it's just like you just remember that it's it's a bit funny and it was something that was said in the film. Yeah, it's got really good delivery. Yeah, it's got really good delivery. It's the point in the film where you're not really sure what's going on or why they're doing anything. So, so that's you can just grab onto that line. It's it's kind of set up for a one-liner, isn't it? And it's I think it's got just enough Cockney twang to be understandable for the American audiences, yet still, oh look, it's British. That line wouldn't have even been an iconic movie quote in history if it wasn't Cockney. No. I'm supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Yes. Yay. I'm a walking soundboard. <laughs> a terrible one, but still. 
Uh, so if we're, if we're going to talk about the songs as well, we need to fit in some point where we talk about the ending of this film. Yes. It's one of the most iconic thing yeah. endings in movie history. Mm-hmm. A literal cliffhanger. Yep. Yeah. After seemingly pulling off the heist, the crew find themselves teetering over the edge of a cliff, unsure what to do next. And the movie decides just to end there with the idea that Charlie has a plan, but we don't get to hear it. Do you guys know why there's a cliffhanger in this film? I do. Were they setting up a sequel? Sort of. I mean, I mean, because one thing that really confused me about this film was this whole subplot with the with the mafia because it goes nowhere. It literally goes nowhere. There's a point where like they're in the middle of the heist and they're like, oh, oh, they're they're doing a heist, and then that's like the end of the mob bit. So I was like, is is there like a planned sequel that involves the mob in some way? If you ask Michael Caine, yes. Oh, he says the original ending was going to be. They all get out of the truck, the truck falls, knowing that the gold will survive the crash at the bottom. Yeah, but then the mafia are weighing at the bottom of there to steal it, and that's how the first movie ends. And the sequel would have been them stealing the gold back from the mafia. Well, that that makes a mo- lot more sense that the mob would be involved in the ending because they're not there <laughs> in the actual <laughs> film, and it's confusing. So, Ben, you said you you knew. What what did you know? Because there's, there's conflicting stories about this. Um, I guess the one I'm familiar with is just because I've seen it on a few review sites over many years about the Hayes Codes that just ended, I think, the year afterwards or year before. Yes, um, that's right, yeah. And obviously part of the Hayes, go- Hayes Code is that they, something about they, they don't want a film that basically skews people to be more morally ambiguous than when they started. Yeah. So they don't want criminals yes. to get away with it. So like even like the, if you think of Ocean's Eleven, so the original Ocean's Eleven with the Rat Pack, which I think yes. is 1960, at the end, the money is in the coffin of the guy that died and the that instead of yeah. just going to a funeral, it, they cremate it. So in a way, they don't get away with it. That's right, yeah. So when the movie actually came out, the Hayes Code had been abolished. But okay. most of the movie's production and script writing was during the Hayes Code, so it still had that element to it. But the actual reason for the cliffhanger itself is because the producer was unhappy with the four proposed endings they got for the film and decided that they could just leave on a cliffhanger and we'll resolve it in the next film once we've thought of a good idea. Which I thought was funny because of how the movie actually ends. Yeah. Do you know why they didn't go for a sequel in the end? Uh, because it didn't do very well at the cinema in America. Oh, yeah, of course. No, yeah. It did very well in the UK, but in America it was advertised as this like, big mafia film. Like, the posters have got like people with like, Tommy guns and naked women and stuff like that on it. A bit like a James Bond sort of film. Yeah, yeah, like a slightly more serious in tone version of a James Bond film, I guess. <laughs> it's almost screwball in, in parts, isn't it? Just like the, like yes. the scenes Alex was referring to with the... Caper. <laughs> On the DVD that you had, D, did you have the deleted scenes? Yeah, where it has that weird dance scene. Yes, with the blue Danube. Yeah. It makes no sense whatsoever. I'm so glad they got rid of that. Yeah. So go on, you have to describe that. As part of the part where the minis are escaping through like the through the streets, they get to like a I think it's like a train station or something. I can't remember. Right. But it's like a big hall. The cars and the police cars, or they all start dancing together. Ooh. So like it's kind of like almost like an ice rink. They're kind of like skating yeah. in between each other. You know, it's yeah. to make it look like they're like dodging the police cars, but the yeah. blue Danube is playing <laughs> over the top. Again, you know, they get away from the police blue cars, Danube. but then probably the next scene, they're just there. Yeah, I mean that's that's what never really quite makes sense with the film. There's the weird bits with the professor, obviously, it's just bizarre. Mickey Rooney levels. <laughs> it's just awful. But, like, to go back to your James Bond reference, Ben, what is with the beginning of this, not the very beginning, but the first Michael Caine scenes in the film? I think he must have sex with about 15 <laughs> women in his first day out of prison. Yeah, he just wanted to get out in style. It's like, this man is a, it's like a sex machine. It's like worse than James Bond. It's a, it's a New York Times icon. 
New York Times, five out of five. <laughs> I thought the New York Times was about higher standard than this. For all the things we've That's the main thing I've learned from this podcast is that the New York Times are a dodgy newspaper. Oh, but at least oh, they, they certainly were. were. <laughs> This offer is for our American listeners. Today's episode is brought to you by Kind Bar. Kind is deeply committed to crafting food with real, recognisable ingredients, a disruptive notion that sparked the creation of a new healthy snacking category. Kind is unapologetic in their efforts to challenge the status quo, to shift the food industry and empower their community and our listeners to make better informed choices about health. Kindness can be a transformative force for good and that is why we're teaming up with Kind and Podgo to bring our listeners 10% off. Or 15% off if you're in the military, a teacher, student, first responder, doctor or nurse. So go to podgo.co forward slash kind. That's podgo.co forward slash kind to find out more. Kind Bar, creating a kinder and healthier world, one act, one snack at a time. So there's two songs in the movie. On Days Like These by Matt Monroe and Get a Blooming Move On by the cast, but it's better known as the Self-Preservation Society. We'll start, as the movie does, with Matt Monroe's On Days Like These, or, as I've written in my notes, On Days Like There. (laughs) Long-term fans of the podcast will know that I love this movie's intro, and therefore the song as well. So before I wax lyrical about it, what do you guys think of this song? What what do I think of the song, or do I think of the scene? Or both? Um, (laughs) Both. Go for it. I think the song, even though it's very pleasant to listen to, is quite forgettable, was my takeaway. Like, I had to listen to it several times. And I only watched the film on Friday and I had to listen to it several times to remember it. And even now, I can't remember how it goes exactly. But I do think that it fits in with the scene very nicely. It really accompanies the scene. But the scene, I think, is so interesting to look at. And so, like, your heart is just on the edge, like, almost, like, jumping out of your mouth because it's just, like, so terrifying to watch him go around those bends in that car. That kind of, like, you almost can't focus on the music because I'm just, like, too, too you know, too busy concentrating on, on watching the car. It's, it's weird because, obviously, he's, like, loving life, you know, driving in the sun in the mountains in Italy in this, like, fancy sports car. The music fits yep. with his attitude. But as a viewer, I'm watching it thinking he's going to fall off this cliff at any moment. So it's kind of a strange juxtaposition of like fearing this man's gonna die for the cliff in a horrific accident, and also this sort of really pleasant, soothing sort of crooning song, which obviously takes presumably takes inspiration from his other song, from Russia with Love, possibly. Why well, yeah, I can just jump in there and say that one of the people that wrote this song was Don Black, who also did a lot of James Bond songs. Yeah, so that fits. Oh, and it does sound it does sound like a it does sound so very similar to that song, and I assume that that was intentional. Yes. Oh, how about you, Ben? They do like throwing cars off hills, don't they, in this film? Yes. <laughs> There's yes. a fair few. See, I, I quite like this song, but in the same vein as Alex, I had forgotten it was from this film. It's I don't know, it was one of those songs that when you first mentioned we were talking about, I could remember it, or at least remember sort of those almost like tagline snippets from the song, a la the words of the actual name of it. <laughs> but I'd forgotten about it, so it was quite nice watching it back the other day. It's very much Bond-esque, and I think it's very much trying to pull on that. And yeah, I don't know, it's quite nice until it explodes. Spoiler. And that, is it a Ferrari Moira? Is it Mira? How would you Lamborghini. Know? Lamborghini Mira, that's it. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's because it's red, so I always think Ferrari red, Lamborghini yellow. Seems fair. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, it's very nice and soothing and, <laughs> you know, stealing Alex's point. It's jarring <laughs> at the end of the song. But yeah, no, I quite like it. It's very, it's, it's nice. 
Yeah, I love this intro. I think it's one of the best ever in, in movie history. Oh gosh, I think it's very soothing and relaxing, and then like sort of has it goes through the entire song, gives you time to sell, and then has the impactful moment of the uh, the car being smashed and then thrown off the side of the cliff. Do you think it's relaxing though, D? Because <laughs> I was on edge the entire time. I can't believe that you think it's relaxing. Yeah, I find it quite relaxing. It's like Swiss Alps or something, isn't it? Italian, but yeah, That's the other side of the mountain. I, I think it is very soothing. Like I think the, the song itself is soothing. Landscape shots of the mountain and stuff like that. I mean, there is occasional moments I do agree with you, Alex. Like when he's clearly driving on the wrong side of the road yeah. and those cars are yes, around that, the corner. That was the part I was thinking of when the cars are there. And I'm like Christ Almighty! Like I wonder. I mean, presumably that was part of the filming rather than they were just actually on that road. <laughs> Do you know, I don't know. I've not got it in my notes, but I assumed that they just were filming it, just a car driving and didn't close the road and they just happened to be I do always wonder this with the car scenes and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it does feel more like that. It does feel feel quite natural. It's a very Top Gun staple road. You can imagine uh, Jeremy Clarkson moaning while he's driving up or down it. Don't remember Jeremy Clarkson being in Top Gun. (laughs) Did I say say Top Gun? (laughs) I didn't know whether or not to uh, point that out, but yeah. Yeah. What an improvement. <laughs> well, certainly a change. Looking forward to that sequel. Are you, though? Is anyone looking forward to that Top Gun sequel? If it's got Jeremy Clarkson in it, it's going to be interesting to watch. <laughs> so the song, as I said, well, it's co-written by Don Black, James Bond, Connections, Plenty, and Quincy Jones. The legend. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Quincy Jones. <laughs> it just, yeah, it just reminds Thank me you. of Austin Powers. <laughs> so a problem I had with this song, and the song we're going to speak about, is there is not much in the way of trivia about these songs <laughs> so, i mean if it, it doesn't feel like a song from a, this film i just thought this was a famous matt Monroe song yeah it was it was it was definitely written for, for this but yeah i can definitely get what you mean it just feels it doesn't really feel like a movie song no even though i've just said about how amazing i think this song is in the movie i think because the, the, the difference between the sort of james bond films it has those those title cards the um animations the graphics to play over which then oh it's like a bond film it feels Iconic to steal your catchphrase, D. Whereas just a man driving with the sort of the words coming up sort of over his like passenger side window doesn't have the same impact. They've missed the trick. If that's what they were going for was a Bond comparison. It felt more that it was more about the visual and the song was accompanying it. Where I think sometimes with the Bond themes, it's about the song. Mm. And they just have those like mm. graphics cards. Although I think with From Russia with Love, the song didn't even feature in the beginning. Anyway, it was an orchestral version, and then the, the song was at the end, and that was that was weird in itself. Which is why I don't remember it that well. <laughs> yeah, and as well, if you remember the earlier Bonds, they didn't properly have those title cards. Did they? I think it was the sort of later one, the seventies ones, where they came in. Really went for it. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think it's it's more about the visual, and the song really accompanies it well, and I think it does work well, and I I think. That's what I would say. I just think the song, if we're talking about it on its own, wasn't overly memorable for me. Because, but maybe it's just because it slotted so well into it. It didn't. Yeah. It didn't jar all. It just fit the visual perfectly, almost. All right, I'll move. I'll move on to the next song. So next up is "Get a Blooming Move On," which everybody in the world better refers to it as the Self Preservation Society. Don't know why they even tried the other name without going proper English. What do you think of this one? Without going proper English. No, no proper. Proper English. Oh, what you mean, like uh, all right, then, son? Up the ob- up the bow, yeah. ding ding with the apples. <laughs> to write you. What the one that was all sixes and sevens? Oh, what? But they know, mates. <laughs> this is the song I associated with the film. It's jovial. It's fairly calm. It kind of fits in with what I kind of associate as the Italian job. Just very light-hearted, pokey fun, and 
it's Michael Caine's voice over the top of it stands out. Yep. It's like I almost don't see it as a song. I, I, I kind of almost put it in that sort of like almost Monty Python. It's kind of like a joke song. I'm not going to like walk down the road, you know, go on a run and listen to this song. It's just kind of in this film. I don't think it has much uh, replay value outside of this movie or football grounds, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? I didn't realise until um, after the film that it was the cast. I know it's weird because you can hear it's Michael Caine when she knows the cast, but I didn't realise it was the cast. And I also thought that it, that it hadn't been specifically written for this. I felt like it was probably some sort of anthem of like some sort of British social pie or something. You know, like like UKIP but back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like a you know like a call to arms kind of song or like a yeah, just yeah. it's it's odd. I didn't read and it there's a song by the Kinks called the the Village Green Preservation Society, I think. And I didn't know whether it was like a similar it was like playing on that because presumably it was released just before this. So I didn't know whether it was like it was a play on that, but yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> and what I enjoyed most about it was that when the song was playing, obviously, over those end credits, it's like thanking, like, Fiat for their help and, like, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the city of Turin and stuff. And it's, <laughs> it's like playing this really pompous, jingoistic, rural Britannia-esque song. It's, it's quite amusing. But obviously it works as well with the whole fact that the caper probably isn't going to pay off as well. So I, I, there's that sort of slight ironic humour about the whole thing as well. So I, I, I like it. If you asked me what the song was from the Italian job, this is the one that I would have remembered and said. And I think probably most yeah. people would say the same thing. It's not to say that it's a bad song. The other one I think is probably just more memorable. And probably because yeah. even though, like you said, the opening scene is amazing, the ending scene is probably even more iconic than the beginning scene. So oh, yeah, people just is. Remember, remember it more because of that. So again, this was written by Don Black and Quincy Jones. With this song, Quincy Jones became fascinated with Cockney rhyming slang, <laughs> which uh, became a lifelong passion of his, coming up with Cockney rhyming slang phrases, which I don't think is how Cockney rhyming slang works. <laughs> I don't think you just get to make it up. I don't know, you've told my granddad. My granddad came up with his own all the time. I mean, he's not a Cockney, but he just came up with those he's not Cockney, no, so but... not Cockney rhyming slang. <laughs> but that was Quincy Jones. <laughs> What's my point? Like, you can't come up with Cockney rhyming slang because he's not a Cockney. I'm pretty sure some of the things they do in Austin Powers is not actual Cockney rhyming slang. Shat on a turtle. I think it is. I think it is all rhyming slang in that, though. What, shat I'm on sure a turtle? Like... <laughs> well, maybe not that. <laughs> Tea kettle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as a kid watching this movie, I had absolutely no idea what the lyrics actually were. And I don't oh, mean no. in terms of, like, I could hear what they were saying. I, it, it was just gibberish to me. I'll stick with my gibberish. This song has to have been used on like various adverts, and yes, as Alex hinted at, potentially a UKIP <laughs> motivational advert. I mean, probably. I think it must have been. For some reason, I've got Weetabix advert in my head. Oh, that, that rings a bell too. Mm, it yeah. is. So, I'm going to test your Cockney rhyming slang knowledge by asking you what the ones in the actual song are. I'm going to do rapid fire. So, the first one is German bands. Hands. Yes. Nice. Boat race. Face. Face. I knew that one. Yep. Barnet Fair. Hair. Dicky Dirt. Shirt. Peckham Rye. Eye. Ooh, no. Bye. Mm. Links to the Tie. previous one. Yes. Then you have Almond Rocks. Socks. Yep. Daisy Roots. Boots. Boots. Yep. Hamster Teeth. Um, teeth. Yes. Although it does say wash your hamster teeth. Do you wash your teeth do you wash or do you teeth? brush your teeth? Brush your teeth. <laughs> yeah. And then Whistle and Flute. Whistle and flute. Yes. Is it is it another thing to do with the person, like clothes or? It's another clothes related one, yeah. Suit. Correct. And then last two, Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck. Um, Neck. No bib around your. Yes, no bib around your Gregory Peck today, eh? Oh, nice, nice. And the final one, 
plates of meat. Feet. Feet. Nicely done. <laughs> that was a very good return on investment there. Hold on. <laughs> I think we did quite well. Um, just, just, just while we're on it, you know, because we mentioned suits just then. One of my absolute favourite things about rewatching this was in the opening credits, there was someone whose credit was Mr. Kane's suits. Yes. Yes. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Which is amazing. And they were in their opening credits. It wasn't even their <laughs> credits. It was their opening credits. I thought that was incredible. Okay. Top five time. Yay. <laughs> I like that you look forward to this, Dean. I do. I do look forward to it. I really look. This is, this is part that I look forward to most. Mm, well, I should put more effort in than 30 seconds of uh, Googling. Should, yeah. Okay. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm joking. As we have discussed several times during this podcast, the greatest part of this film is the car chase scene. So obviously, I had to look at what are the five, and this is a compilation of various movie lists, what are the five greatest car chase scenes in all of film? Okay. What's in the top five, guys? I feel like I'm going to really struggle on this. Uh, Ronin. Ronin, Ronin was on a lot of lists, but it ends up number six. Ooh. Okay. Well, I'm just going to say it then. The Matrix Reloaded. Longest It's not in the top ten. Ooh. Are there any from like sort of? Are there any like James Bond ones and stuff like that? Because I feel like I'm, if there are, I'm not. Gonna... Uh, there was in the top ten, but not in the top five. Are there any sort of like really old, like Bullet and things like that? Bullet is number one. Yeah, right. but I'm going to say Bullet is the bullet. greatest car chasing of all time. Oh my god, I know which one definitely is the best one. Blues Brothers, is it in there? Blues Brothers is number five. <laughs> the Blues Brothers they, car chase they, is, is uh, Yeah, how many, how many cop cars are used in that scene? Oh, it must be hundreds. There's yeah. so many. <laughs> Just destroyed on top of each other. We need to do the thing we always forget each week. The Italian job. Number two, D. Well we done. always forget to say the one It's the actual <laughs> <Yeah>. episode. <laughs> Every week. Yep, yep. It was not in a lot of top fives, though. It was kind of a top five in a lot, and then I kind of started to go into some British lists, maybe, and they were always number one. So we clearly have a ethnocentric bias. <laughs> Is there any Fast and Furious films featured? There was one in the top uh, ten but no, is it the one where he chases the plane and it's uh, going on for like years and years? It's like how long is yeah, this runway? I've just wrote Fast and Furious <laughs> like a uh, good list maker, so I have no idea. Oh, Fast Five, I think. Oh, with the uh, with the safe. Yes, with the safe. Yep. Something from the film Drive. Uh, no, it was in one or two lists, but no. How new is this list? Like, is Baby Driver in it? Uh, you know what? I don't even think I saw Baby Driver. Like I said, I got most of the lists I tried to find were from the last three years, so Baby Driver wasn't in any list, okay. which is weird because that is amazing. One is, a, I don't know if you're going to get it. It's a film from 1971. It is in a lot of these lists. And I oh, is it French Connection? It. It's the French Connection. Well done. Yes. Well yeah. done. That is um, awesome. uh, One more. Uh, can you give us a, a time period again? Mad Max. I, I, this oh, okay. yeah, Mad Max Fury Road. Is that not in it? No, it's not, actually. That's, that's again, I don't think people are thinking out of the box for that. This is, again, I don't know if you've seen this film. It's from 1985. It is a fantastic film. I've got it in the Arrow video collection. And it, again, it, I, I think I, I try to avoid like the sun top ten car chases. I kind of went for sort of slightly highball movie magazines rather than the mirror. Ooh, you might have to give us more of a clue. Nineteen eighty-five. Nineteen eighty-five. It's an American film. I think it's a William Friedkin film. If you know who he is, uh, I don't know the name, and I know the year. Well, he, I think he also he also directed The French Connection, so he clearly likes car chases. It's a film called To Live and Die in L.A. Never heard of it. Watch it. Watch it. It's a great sort of like um, cop film. Definitely watch it. But you did pretty well there, guys. Yeah. Surprised me as usual. I can't believe The Matrix Reloaded is not in that top five. <laughs> no, it's not. Some of the kind of like mentions Terminator 2, mm-hmm. which is a, is it a car chase or is it a motorbike chase? Death Proof was in a few. Really? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it is like a cool scene, but it's not a good film. Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, and an honourable mention for the Dukes of Hazzard. <laughs> with the remake one with Johnny uh, It actually was in one list, yes. <laughs> I like to I like to mention those kind of Lizzie McGuire-esque when they find their way in these lists. So now it's time for this week's ultimate question, which is the best song of the Italian job. So either on days like these or the Self-Preservation Society. Um, ben, do you want to go first this week? If, it's one of those things. I, th- I feel like I'd be... Matt Monroe would roll in his grave if I said this was the best song. I think I prefer Self-Preservation Society, but if I was actually going song as a piece of music, Matt Monroe is better. So yeah, I'm going yeah. to say On Days Like These. It's the one I've actually listened to outside of the film that I remember quite fondly. I feel like it's a, it's like a, I've got a few memories of just listening to it uh, at home when I was younger. So I'll go for that. I'll hold on to those memories. I'm I'm going to take it a different way, and I'm going to go, which one do I think reminds me of the film more? Or that I think is associated with the film more? Or that I think is, like, more iconic? So I'm going to go for self Which one is Alex? Which one is it? <laughs> it's self-res- oh, well, uh, what's the actual name of it, T? Get Bloody Get Me. Blooming. Blooming Me. Blooming. Blooming, yeah. sorry. No, can't be X-ray, can't say bloody. So I, yeah, I think I'll go for that one. But I do, I do agree with Ben that the other one is a better song, which is period. Like if I had to pick a better song out of those two, the Matt Monroe one is the better song. Yeah, that, well, that is the problem with this decision this week is you've got one which is a better song and one which is more akin to being linked with the movie, mm. and it's trying to figure out which one you go for. I think just because I like the scene so much, I'm gonna go with on days like these. But ask me again next week, and I might change your mind. <laughs> So that brings a close to today's episode of That Song From That Movie. Uh, let us know which one you think is the best song from the Italian job and how much you think the opening credit sequence is fantastic. You can do that on Twitter. What is our Twitter handle, Ben? TSFTMPod. Thank you. So you can help out the podcast in a number of ways. Um, you can do that on Reddit by sharing this on a subreddit. What subreddit should they pick this week, Alex? Um, do you think Noel Coward will have a, sub- a subreddit? <laughs> he should do. The legend. <laughs> Don't do that. You have to put in the umlaut, though. We only want the umlaut version yeah, yeah. of that subreddit. So instead of doing the usual pushes towards Patreon and stuff like that, all I'm going to say is this week, please, if you're enjoying this podcast, leave a review. It's the single best way you can help the spread of this podcast. Isn't that right, guys? Yes. Yes, if you say so. (laughs) So all that's left now is to do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. Ooh, thoughts, milk cabbage. (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't say that's the best one. (laughs) And goodbye from Ben. I've been a thief since I've had baby teeth. That's Mike Wahlberg. (laughs) <laughs> oh, we're so close to getting for the whole podcast without talking about it. Oh, goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Ben. <laughs> I have to. Self-preservation site song also reminds me of the corner shop. You know, everybody needs the buzz and bar pillow. I don't know why. It's just there must be something in the the flow of it that just sounds so. It's a self-preservation society. The self-preservation society. Everybody needs a buzz and bar pillow. Everybody needs a buzz. And... It just flows in perfectly. <laughs>